time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, If you are a uh, fan of reading mystery novels, you are in for a real treat. My guest this hour is the number one New York Times bestseller, author of uh, NPR's Best Books of 2013, Amazon's Best Books for 2013, Washington Post Top 5 Fiction Writer, winner of five Agatha Awards, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, a literary award for mystery and crime authors. Um, And and if you're not reading her work, uh, you're really missing out. Um, I'm I'm really honored and uh, thrilled to uh, welcome to the show author Louise Penny. Hi, Louise. Hi, Tom. Um, now, you have a new book out, but I want to set this up a little bit. Um, for people who've not read your stuff, you have uh, a character uh, called Chief Inspector Gamash, who is uh, a, uh, let's see, let's see if I've got this right. Um, sin- uh, well, in the time since, your books, Still Life, A Fatal Grace, and the cruelest month, he's retired. Yeah, so this is actually the the, the latest book uh, is actually the tenth in the in the series. So, uh, you know, like most series characters, you hope that they evolve and their lives evolve and things happen. And so, well, yes, he's, I, I, he's I, no longer with me. So, page came back. I, I knew you had written eleven books. I didn't realize that this was the 10th involving Inspector Gamash, and I apologize for not catching that, but I was uh, a little bit distracted by the fact that you've written 11 books and still had time to work for 18 years at the CBC. Well, you know, know, that is such an interesting point, because the fact is I didn't. I, I, I had to. I actually tried to write while I was with the CBC as a journalist, and I, I couldn't do it. And partly, I don't know if you've tried to write novels or whatnot. As a journalist, as you know, you know they don't like character development. Or as a 
long, and that would be considered a long story for a journalist. So it just didn't, it didn't fit for me. So I, I finally had to quit work with my husband's help and blessing, and, and that's when I really knuckled down and started writing. But I suffered from writer's block after that for a couple of years. Well, you know, that's, that's funny that you talk about journalism versus that kind of writing. And no, I've never written, uh, at least not a novel. I've done some essays. But again, that's, uh, you know, what you're talking about. In, in journalism, it's all names and titles. But you write descriptions so much better. I, I, I have to wonder if while you were trying, while you were trying to do both at the same time, if, if, one wasn't a distraction to the other. If if you were being too wordy in journalistic pieces and not wordy enough in your descriptions uh, for the novel, <laughs> getting getting all confused. It was really the other way around. I think the the I was so uh, used to being a journalist uh, and, and a, a news reporter that that was interfering with the writing of the book. That. The book was over in a page and a half. Um, yeah. Having said that, they, when I finally did quit and I managed to get my head around writing an entire book and being with that's the other thing as a journalist, uh, you're, you, you deal with three or four stories in a day. They are uh, they're not disposable, but they come and go quite quickly. So it was something. It was completely different for me and quite difficult to live with one story for an entire year. But being a journalist has certainly helped in, in many, many aspects. It had some drawbacks, but for the most part, it really helped. Um, the, uh, the, now, that raises this question, and I'm, trying, I'm fumbling a little here to figure out exactly how I want to uh, phrase it. If it's difficult to... An insult, then. <laughs> if, if it's... If it's difficult to write a novel and develop a character, how do you manage to do it 11 times? Oh, you know, that's, gosh, that's a great question. It's, and it's a challenge. Um, and um, a, a continuing challenge. It doesn't get easier. In fact, I think it gets more difficult. Even though I know the characters, it comes as a surprise that their characters, they seem so alive to me. I just, I, I know them so well and care about them so much. Um, and, and I'm deeply grateful to them. I mean, I don't want to sound too precious, but they really have given me a life beyond anything I thought possible. The challenge is to not fall into um, uh, a formula. You don't want it to become formulaic. You don't want to end up intentionally or not writing the same book over and over with just you know, a, a different location. Um, so that's really the challenge, and that's part of evolving the characters so that they are, they're growing themselves, and it's, um, but it is, it is a bit of a challenge, especially when the books aren't, maybe this helps, the books, while they are clearly murder mysteries and crime novels, they aren't really about murder. That is the catalyst to take a look at a whole bunch of other things. For instance, this latest book, uh, The Long Way Home, was um, uh, um, inspired by the Odyssey and, and Ulysses' uh, journey home after the Trojan War and, 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 and what he went through to try to get home and that he never lost sight of that's what he wanted, that yearning he had and that I think we 
inside ourselves where we finally, finally get comfortable with who we are. Yeah, this um, actually starts out almost like a missing person thing. Yes, that's exactly right. It's in some ways it's a story upside down. It's more a mystery than a murder mystery. It's not clear uh, whether a murder has even happened, but it it is uh, someone who has failed to come home. And so the, the a group of the main characters sets out on this journey to try to to find this person, but also it's clear that this person who's missing uh, is himself looking for something, and so they're trying to figure out what it is he's looking for. And in the course of events, they, of course, make personal discoveries about themselves, but also other discoveries, so it's... It is, it is the journey, an internal as well as an external journey. Well, I'm coming to, I, I'm sort of coming to the uh, discussion about Chief Inspector Gamash a little late in the process, but I, but I do want to go back to that, that transitioning from journalism to writing novels, because as a journalist, you write about things that have happened. As a novelist, you're writing about things that may happen. That was part of the writer's block. Um, it, 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 it was. It, it took some getting used to. Even I think it wasn't until maybe the second or third book where I really understood that I, I could create anything. I could. I could make people fly if I wanted to. I could. It, it was a world of my invention. And as a journalist, that of course is the opposite of, of all of your training. Every fiber of my body went against making things up, and so it was quite a challenge to to do that, but once I did, Tom, it was amazing, that that sense of finally, it was like being God, <laughs> I am the God <laughs> of my world, I get to, to to decide what happens with these characters, and it, it is, it's actually strangely in a world that is so unpredictable, um, to, to be a writer and have that kind of Now, when you were a journalist, did you ever find yourself uh, saying, you know, writing a story and saying, boy, you just can't make this stuff up? <laughs> yes, a few times. In fact, a couple of those times, I actually ended up using some of the stuff in, in books. Um, but that's, that's the challenge, is to make things that are almost unbelievable actually believable. Now... In the writing process, and and I have to imagine that it's very different from person to person, and maybe a little bit different from project to project. But as you approach writing, do you have a, a story in mind, and then know how the people will react to that story, or do you know the characters so well that you start to anticipate the kinds of things that will happen to them? What I, what I do when I'm starting to think about it, it takes me, I generally think about a book probably about a year before I start writing them. And particularly now, since the series is so character-driven, um, there, there, there are two kind of... Um, um, lines or arcs in, in each of the books. There's the, the murder itself, which is 
development arc. So I have to have a sense of where the characters are going um, a few books ahead of time because there's, there's some references back. And, um, but yes, that's, I, I, I know the characters now so well that when I'm thinking about the next book, starting to plan it, I have a notebook, I walk around, I write down quotes, I write down thoughts. And I start to see, this is a wonderful part of the process, when I can see specific scenes between the characters and, and, and hear their voices and the dialogue and how they're going to react. Um, that's a wonderful place to be. Uh, but generally, I know I, I know what the story's about before I start writing. I know what the theme is, whether it's search for home or uh, jealousy or the artistic temperament. Um, and, uh, and then I... It's hard to explain. It's just because I struggle with it. I struggle between needing enough information before I start to be able to have know where the story is going, but not have so much that I'm strangling the story. There has to be room for inspiration. So it's finding that balance is always um, a bit of a challenge. When you're developing the story, does it? Does it ever start out in one direction and then take you in a different direction by surprise? It does. It does sometimes. Uh, generally, the the murderer is the same, and the, the sort of the broad strokes are the same. Um, but there are always surprises, um, and that's part of the evolution for myself as a writer. When I wrote the first one, I had the bad idea that the first draft had to be right. And of course, the first draft can't ever be right. It, it shouldn't be right. Not for me, anyway. My first drafts, Tom, are big piles of something soft and smelly. They are awful. Because <laughs> I'm taking all sorts of chances. I'm taking risks. I'm sure. following leads. I'm doing all sorts of things. And then that's where the second draft comes in. Then I start to shape, and I start to winnow, and I start to clarify, and I'm, I'm just finishing up the book now, and I'm about to start the fourth draft, but, that, but that's my process, other people have different processes, but that's mine, I just, I toss everything into the first draft, I don't worry about whether it's right or not, because I know that somewhere in there, there are gems, and then the job of the subsequent draft is to un- uncover those gems. How much of um, how much of writing, Louise, is uh, uh, writing, and how much of it is editing? Mm. That's an interesting question. I, um, certainly, for me, there's there's a lot of editing. It's, it is again finding that balance because um, because you want it to be lyrical. At least I want it to be lyrical. I want it to be creative. I want people to read the books and and enjoy it. And so it has to. Not mechanical, and, and sometimes editing can be more right brain than left brain, or left brain than right brain. Um, Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you are listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. 
you can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. The marches, the beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artists who made them famous. You'll thrill to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Valley Sunday by the Monkeys, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel, and who can ever forget this all-time classic... Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jeff Snareplane, Lothar and Hand People, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, cold in protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. More with this no- is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with my conversation with the number one New York Times best-selling writer from Canada, 
we have uh, Louise Penny. That perfect balance between uh, the, the, the mechanics of writing and, and editing and, and being creative. For me, a, a great deal. The, the first draft is definitely the creative part. It's just thrown on, I take risks. Then it really is a lot of, a lot of editing. But editing needs to be creative, too. You know, I was I was reading somewhere that that you had started out writing a historical novel and then gave up on it to write traditional mysteries. Although descriptions of your writing from other writers and and from your readers, it's anything but traditional. But um, what was the novel you were working on? The historical was that the journalist in you trying to write something? Uh, in a historical yeah, way? it could have been. It could have been sort of clinging on to fact and finding comfort in, in fictionalizing something that actually happened. Um, it, was, it was something from the first, the early explorers, the early days uh-huh. in, uh, in, in Quebec. But actually, I used a, a nugget of that in this particular book in that as they're going downriver, the St. Lawrence, um, they, they end up close to island that actually existed, or an area that actually exists. And on the old maps, the first explorers, it was so desolate and so God-forsaken that the early maps of this area along the St. Lawrence River in Quebec, they called it the land God gave to Cain. I, I just, I loved that description. Can you imagine how horrific a place would have to be? Well, yeah. Or describe it as that. That's where these characters realize that they're going. They're going to the land God gave to Cain. Now, there's you write about art in in the new book, The Long Way Home, and you have in previous books. Um, and and I have to wonder: is that because you have some special interest in art? No, <laughs> I I. As an adult, not that you know, a few years ago, and, and I was standing in front of the canvas with the with the brush, and the, the, the model was sitting in front, and I, I went to make the first stroke, and only then did I remember that I don't know how to paint. I am a terrible artist, like I'm a terrible poet. I art wasn't something that was part of my upbringing. Reading was, poetry was, books everywhere, plays, literature, but not art. Um, it wasn't until I met my husband, uh, who's a doctor, but also a very gifted artist, and he started taking me to galleries. And even then, I must say, I just I was just biding my time till I could get to the to the gift shop. But it took me a little while to appreciate art. And what I do is, is, is I art does play a huge role. The creative process plays a big role in my books. But when I actually, because I don't know that much about art, and I'm not myself an artist, when I actually describe, I describe the artwork a little bit in, in broad strokes, what I really try to describe is how people are feeling when they're looking at the artwork. I, I, would, nice think, I, I would think that to some degree you do paint pictures with some of the descriptions in the way that you write. Oh, what a lovely thing to say. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's, a, that's a lovely thing to say. Thank you. 
And and I'm especially uh, appreciative of your reference to the creative process because I, I am forever struggling with guests on the show and, and in my own mind about how do you explain the creative process? How do you teach the creative process to people coming up? Oh, I... As I said, you know, I suffered from writer's block for years because I didn't know how to access that. I didn't know how to free that part of myself, part that was so disciplined and so structured, and to, to give myself permission to make mistakes, to take risks. And that, that for me, took a long time to, to not get it right the first time. In fact, well, my, the book before this one was called How the Light Gets In, and that's uh, a, a quote from Leonard Cohen, one of his old dreams. He says, ring the bells that still can ring, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And I, I had to learn that not only is it okay to be flawed, it's necessary to be flawed because that is how inspiration gets in. So for me, that was that's a huge part of the first draft is not being afraid. And this book, The Long Way Home, I quote Seamus Heaney's, the, the Irish poet's last words. His last words to his wife were, in Latin, they were, noli to marry, which means be not afraid. And I, I have a poster now that says that, and it's up in front of my desk where I'm writing, and every day I look at it and I remind myself, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. When you came up with, when, when Chief Inspector Gamash made his first appearance when you developed that character where in the process and how in the process did the light bulb go off that that I gotta keep doing more with this guy this has got to be a series it was, I, I wanted the books to be a series from the beginning because I like reading when I read crime novels I love reading on about ongoing characters um so that was the intention. Initially, the main characters were actually going to be this artist couple, Clara and Peter. Um, and then Gamash was going to be sort of the person they go to for help. Uh, but I liked him so much, and he just seemed so real and so whole, and it seemed um, just a strange pretense that these two artists would become amateur sleuths. It just seemed like too, just too much of a stretch. Uh, and I, I liked writing him. I liked the fact that Armand Gamache is in his mid-fifties, but he is more of a professor type. You'd never mistake him for uh, an assassin. He looks more like a professor. He's thoughtful, and he's kind, and he's happy, and he's strong. And at one stage, they talk about never mistaking kindness for weakness, uh, because it yeah. takes a lot more courage to be kind than to be did he become someone to whom the center stage couldn't be taken or from whom yes yes I, you know initially the books were called three times mysteries because that's the setting for most of the books is this village in Quebec yeah. near the Vermont border called three times um, and that's where this ongoing group of characters lives. Um, and 
But then they started calling them the publishers with, you know, discussion with me, the Ramon Gamash mysteries, the chief inspector Gamash, because clearly he is, he's the center of these books. I could, I could write and have written the Gamash book outside of Three Pines, but I couldn't write a Three Pines book without Gamash. That's that. That's interesting. Um, and I can't help but wondering because so much of uh, you know I'm looking through some of the press material that that accompanies uh, a book release and all of the accolades or many of most of the accolades that I'm looking over uh, seem to come from the U.S. Um, do you have more readers in the U.S. than Canada? Yes, by far. Um I would have thought that the books would, would be more popular in Canada. It took a little while in Canada to, to get some um, traction. And, and I'm, I, I'm not at all clear why that, why that is. That it may have been a publishing issue at the time. Uh, but the American publishers have been very um, supportive of the book. And it's, it's not a natural novel set in a little village in the middle of nowhere, Quebec. It doesn't have big New York Times bestseller written all over it. But I think they saw that while that's the setting, the themes are universal, and that there was a potential for um, a greater audience. And, and so they've, they've been very, very supportive of this book. And, and the American readership is so open to, to books set in other places. Literary tourism. You can go back without actually coming here. Um, Gamash is is one of those um, one of those characters. I I, I don't want to make him sound like anyone else because he is his own person, is his own personality. But there are these these classic sleuths. Um. Poirot and Miss Marple and Sherlock Holmes and several others that don't come to mind. Some of the film noir uh, characters of uh, Dashiell Hammett. Um, is he inspired by any of those or all of those? Did you have a love affair with? Those that kind of storytelling and those kinds of characters, and to what degree did they influence you in the way you frame stories and the way you build characters? Well, I certainly read um, all those books. I read Agatha Christie. I read uh, the, the the Sherlock Holmes books. I actually had a, a crush on Doctor Watson. There are some people who thought that Sherlock did as well. But I also, he's, uh, I, I was definitely inspired more by the uh, the British tradition than the American tradition. It's just what I was reading. Um, but he's also, but he wasn't based for sure on the Agatha Christie's because if you read Poirot, and I love Poirot, but Christie grew tired of him, apparently. And I think one of the reasons she grew tired of him is that he never evolved. 
he was essentially the same person when she began writing him in the 1920s as he was in Curtin at the final one in, in the 1970s. Well, and I don't know if it was a mistake or brilliance, but she actually wrote a character who was, in many ways, unable to change. Yes, yes, yeah. And I, but and, and I, she was I mean, massively successful. So I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. But it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it, it couldn't interest me. Um, my, I need to, for myself to be interested in these characters, they need to to grow and and evolve. So he definitely was inspired by um, by Poirot or any of the Christie characters. It was somewhat, I must say, so I, I don't know if you've ever read Georges Simenon, a, a French crime writer, and his main character is a fellow named Maigret. He was somewhat inspired by Maigret, although Maigret was a little bit more sullen. Gamache has actually got a lot of humor about him. He's a... What I love about writing Gamache is that he's not a man-child. He's not interested in beating people up. He's not interested in insulting them. He's not interested in sexist jokes. He loves his wife. He has children. He has grandchildren. He's, he's, an, he's an actual adult. And I find that, for me, he's, he's good company. I enjoy getting to the computer every day and being in his company. Now, that's the second... That's the second time you've mentioned every day, and I want to ask you about writing habits. Um, one of my favorite questions was asked of uh, Stephen King, and I'll, I'll tell you what his response was in a minute. But they, they asked him, do you write to the muse or to a schedule? And what did he say? Well, I'm curious. So I, I want to hear your answer first, and then I'll... I, I get up every day, I go to the laptop, I am there by 8 o'clock, and I write a thousand words a day, minimally, uh, sometimes more if, if everything is going really well, but, but a thousand words a day. I have to be, this is, this is a great job, but it is a job. I, I, it's, I'm, people are depending on me. I am also extremely lazy. So if I allowed myself to just write whenever I want to, you know, I'd be sitting around eating gummy bears and watching Oprah, <laughs> or would have. So, so no, I'm, I'm, I need to be extremely disciplined, um, and, and, and I am. And I think that was part of the writer's block, too, was that I, I actually thought I should just, I should wait for inspiration to strike, and I, it didn't occur to me that Maybe for some people that works, absolutely. I, I think that's wonderful. But for me, I have to just plow ahead and plow ahead, which is also why I have, have to write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, because a lot of what I write the first time around isn't actually very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen King's answer, uh, parenthetically, was, um, oh, I always write to the muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> I thought you would appreciate. I thought you would appreciate that more than most. Yes, yes, that's wonderful. That is excellent. Yes. Um, now, with with this this long series, do you do you see the series continuing, or do you 
what what's next for you? Do you plan to go in in a different direction, or will we hear more from Gamash? No, I've, I've had one good idea in my life, and I'm riding it for all it's worth. <laughs> I love writing Gamash. I ask people sometimes ask, and I know it's not what you're asking, but they ask, you know, are you going to write something kind of serious? And I, I there's a kind of the implication that that crime writing is not to be taken seriously and is somehow trivial. For me, I love writing crime novels. Who are those those people, Louise? Let's not talk to them anymore. Yeah, I I, I just find it strange. I find it strange that that crime writers aren't nominated for Nobel Prizes or for, you know, the major awards out there. And I'm not saying that I should be, but I am saying that I think a lot of times there is a sense that um, that it is formulaic and that that, that, that it's, it's not as legitimate as, as so-called literary fiction. Well, that, not, I, I guess that makes me wonder if, uh, you know, dime novels and, and formularic things, uh, serial magazines and some of that stuff hasn't cheapened the genre. I absolutely, I think that there there is certainly a lot of um, you know not very good crime writing out there or superficial. Um, I just as with literary fiction or poetry, there's a lot of lot of stuff that that is just not very good. Um, my feeling is because it took it was so hard to write that first book, and it took so much courage and, and uh, it took so much time. I was so filled with fear that for me. I don't care what people write. I have admiration for anyone who, who starts to write a book, never mind finishes it. And so I have no desire to judge anyone or to dismiss any genre. I think good writing is good writing. And, 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 and as long as people are reading, I, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's Winnie the Pooh or, or James Joyce. If, it gives, if people are having pleasure reading, God bless you. You know, one of the things that comes up in uh, people's observations about this series is that they're always left wanting more. How do you resolve a story, you know, bring it to a successful conclusion and leave people wanting more without leaving it open-ended somehow? You sprinkle the pages with cocaine. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> The first, the first book is free, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we go in there, hang around libraries. <laughs> oh, that's you funny. Know, I think, I think it goes to what we were talking about before about characters, and, and people probably don't read my books because of the the crimes. Although I hope that the crimes are are um, uh, interesting and riveting, um, uh, but I think people come back to the books. They like the characters. They like the company of Gamache. They like Quebec as a character. The setting is a character. For me, I'm very clear that I don't want anyone to be a little ambivalent about where is it set. It is set absolutely in Canada, absolutely in Quebec. The cuisine, with the the, the, the weather, um, and so it's that whole experience. I want my books to be sensuous, so that not sexual, but sensuous, so that all 
all the senses are engaged. And I think that's why people come back, because there is, you know, there's a reason I write about home, because I think there's a feeling of belonging that people have when they read the books. And, and I think it is for them like coming home when they pick up a new Gamash book or a Three Pines book. And, and it certainly is for me. It's not something that I'm doing as a marketing tool. I That's how I feel when I get to the computer every day. It's like coming home. I've never been to London, but after having read Arthur Conan Doyle, I almost feel like if I were to visit there, that somehow older neighborhoods would feel familiar. Uh Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, so I understand what you're saying about place being a character and something you care about in the story. I, I happen to live in a place that is, I think, intrinsically interesting and unusual. Um, but I think if you love a place, you can make any place interesting. I think that's, I, I'm hoping, what comes across. These books are many things, but among them, they're love letters to where I live, to the landscape, to the, the culture, to my friends who live here, to a place. I wasn't born here in Quebec, but I found my home here. So they are. They're, they're like love poems to places that <laughs> welcome me. I, I think uh, a place can be an old friend. Mm. Strange, isn't it? It, it is strange and very interesting. Immediately. There Have you are, felt like that? I'm sorry? Have you felt like that sometimes where you've been in some place with you felt drawn to it? Um, I'm very much like that about my hometown. Ah. I've lived other places, I've been other places, and even when I don't leave, I feel constantly in a state of coming home. Mm. Mm. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of uh, technical questions, because all of a sudden I, I found myself not understanding the difference, and I feel like I should. Mystery stories and crime stories. Um, well... Is there a clear difference? Mystery, well, not really. I think, I think mysteries tend to be, and, and this is, again, this is kind of broad stroke, but mysteries tend to be uh, considered more the traditional, uh, almost the British tradition. Uh, whereas crime novels tend to be more sort of gritty. That, that's not, I think those sort of compartments, I hope, are being broken down um, so that a book can be all things. Also, a crime, a mystery doesn't necessarily need to be a crime. A mystery can be like it's a missing person. Someone right. hasn't come home. Well, there may or may not be a crime there, but it is a mystery. More with uh, number one New York Times best-selling author Louise Penny after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner Program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. 
The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman's sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy 
If your name this is Sesquirelli. U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with number one New York Times best-selling author Louise Penny. Straight ahead. Dog that failed to bark, or why someone is wearing red, or what—that's a mystery. It's not a crime, but it's—I think we're sort of hardwired to want answers to those mysteries. Um, as as much or more than crimes. Yeah, I think I think crimes can sometimes be repellent. I think there are other they engage other parts of us, whereas mysteries can be, you know, a, a little bit gentler. Perhaps why is that happened, or what happened in, in in this book? What happened to Peter? Why is the place called the land God gave to Cain? Why is the the, the painting upside down? Why why why? You know, I had a uh, one of your friends sent me a. Um, a list of questions and I, I do terrible with those lists of questions and you're delightful to talk to and I'm glad I didn't go with the questions but um, but but there 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 is a, a quote that I wanted to to pick up on and and talk about because it is something I, I typically do ask um, it says many fans say that uh, they wish you could write faster how long does it take you to turn around a novel Another one of those those things where I'm not exactly sure how to put this question together. I, I, it looks good in my head, but I'm not sure how it's going to sound. <laughs> um, well, we'll have to edit it. There you go. Um, it, you put it out there, and I will find the gem in it. It, it actually it actually has to do with with something you said a little bit ago about caring about the characters, and and generally in in stories that 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 people are drawn to, that people do enjoy, it's because they care what happens to the characters. Are you a good judge of what people will like? Do you do you use your own judgment? Are you just so much like everybody else that what you like seems to resonate? Is there a, a, a conscious process you go through with that, where you're writing to a reader or writing to yourself? than anyone else. 
I can certainly understand why people get impatient waiting for your next book because you are as much <laughs> you are as much fun to talk to as you are to read. Well, I have had so much fun talking with you, Tom. I hope we can do this again sometime. I, well, I hope so too. And now I'm going to be one of those people who wishes you could write faster. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the book is "The Long Way Home" by Louise Penny. Uh, um, which uh, brings Chief Inspector Gamash uh, out of retirement. Um, it's uh, available where uh, all, all good books are found. And uh, what a delight to talk to you, Louise. Thanks so much for spending this time. I know we went over our planned time, but uh, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, spending this much time. It was a delight. Well, I have so enjoyed this. Thank you, Tom. Great, thank you. And with that, we'll be back with more.
for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner but wait there's more that was uh, of course my good buddy uh, steve mccomb with spider to the fly steve uh, a flint uh, a flint original but uh, heading up the nashville office all these last many many years what a delightful couple hours uh this this past hour with louise penny was uh, an encore from 2015 but it was such a great conversation and it was fun to uh, revisit that conversation especially after talking with our guests the first hour um, noted actor robert bathurst who uh, is narrating the inspector gamache series now he's done six books so far including uh, the most recent all the devils are here and uh, for those of you who don't recognize robert bathurst by name you certainly uh, know him from his role as sir anthony stralin in downton abbey or uh, some of his uh, other performances in series like uh, cold feet and uh, toast of london which is uh, available in the States. He's, uh, I refer to him as a star of stage, screen, and audio books because he won the 2020 Audio Award, Audio Book Award for uh, Best Male Narrator. Anyway, fun couple of hours, but as I mentioned, there is still more. We're going to hat tip to uh, the first day of school, but we're also going to talk with uh, next hour with uh, Dr. Ann Riley about... Um, uh, pediatric uh, cancer research. Anyway, stay tuned. Lots more. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 